Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. You give us access to your throne. By grace we enter, Lord. We thank you that you give your heart to us. If we pursue you, you are faithful to hear us, Lord. You are faithful to respond to our prayers, to the cries of our hearts, Lord. And so today, this morning, we come seeking you, seeking your face, seeking your word. Come speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you in the house of God. It's good to be back. Last week I wasn't here. I was at a kids' camp with my daughter Kayla. Uh, rumors were circulating. I won't say who, but rumors were circulating that I had been let go from my position, but I'm like a cat. I got nine lives, which actually after five years, I'm probably in the negative at, at this point. And then if you're here on Wednesday, you, you noticed that I wasn't here as well. My wife and I, uh, well, I took the day off to be with my wife and my daughter who had uh, her very first uh, orchestral concert at her school. It was a very, very proud moment, and I love being with you guys. I love praying with you all, but I'll tell you, in that moment, there was no better place or no other place that I would rather have been than to see my daughter perform. And I'll tell you this, it has been a long journey for her. Every other week, we hear, you know, every day we hear her practice, and every other week she wants to quit viola. And, you know, at first when she started, it was... And, and, and after a while, that's an actual representation, by the way. After a while, we started, hear, we started hearing her put some notes together. We started hearing her put some melodies together. And I love seeing her develop and mature as a, what is it, Susan? Violaist. Violist? Violist. Sorry. I, you think I would know that being a worship pastor, having a job that has to do with music, but I actually don't. We're talking about maturity this morning. If you were here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about our core values as a church here at Belmont. Pastor Carlos went over the first two in the previous two weeks. The first one is a pop quiz. The first one is the cultivation of God's... You know this is recorded, right? The first one is the cultivation of God's glory that we seek to glorify God in all we do. The second one, hope you guys do better... You can look it up on the website right now. Cultivation of God's, cultivation of love. We seek to express the warmth of God's love. And the third one is the cultivation of maturity. And that is that we seek to create environments that direct God's people towards spiritual maturity. We want to be more mature in Christ. If you spend a little bit of time with Susan and I, you'll notice right away that we can be Pretty sarcastic people. You may not notice that from the stage. I know some of you guys are shocked and appalled. To be honest with you, I would say that Susan, after being married for quite a while now, she probably just got it from me. She was really nice and sweet, and then I kind of contaminated her in that way, which is what happens when you are around someone for a very uh, long amount of time. You start to become like them. And it's really funny because there was a, a time last year, and I really don't remember what exactly happened well, I, I want to say our AC broke or, you know, parents, you're always stepping on Legos because your kids leave them out. Something happened, and Susan, she, she said, oh, great. And our four-year-old at the time, Zach, he looks at her with this, with this puzzled look on his face, and he says, do you mean great or not great? <laughs> and then months later, or maybe a few weeks later, he comes rushing to the room, and he's really excited. And he's like, mama, 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 because that's how kids are, right, toddlers? Mama, 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 mama. 
I said great, but I meant not great. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you this, as, as someone who has mastered the art of sarcasm, it really brought me great joy to see my son develop in this wonderful gift. Listen, some of you guys are going to say, some of you guys are going to say that sarcasm is not from God. Can you just read Job chapter 38 to 40? Where, just read it. Just later, mark it down right now. Spend a couple days reading that. God is incredibly sarcastic. With Job. God is like, did you create the earth? Can you call up Leviathan? I mean, God is pretty sarcastic, okay? But in the same way as our children develop and in the same way as they mature, as children of God, we're also called to develop and mature spiritually. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 to start off, verses 11 through 13. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And this tells you right off the bat that we're not quite there yet because he says until we all reach unity, until we increase in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So simply put, spiritual maturity is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. The maturation process of a believer is simply the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as we walk with him. I'm going to read through uh, three prayers that, that Paul prays for different churches in the New Testament, starting off in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. I'll try to go through these quickly. He says here, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And then in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, and this is my prayer, now he's talking to another church here, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Again, this is a, another letter to another church. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It's really impressive to me, it's really fascinating to me that as Paul starts off each of these letters, and, and this isn't just these three books that he, he wrote, it's actually in, found in most of his books, most of his letters to the different churches in the area. He doesn't pray for God to remove affliction. He doesn't pray for God to bless them financially. The one thing that he continually prays for to the different churches that he ministers to in these letters, while he's in prison, while he's traveling, he's writing these letters, and the one thing that is consistent, the theme that is consistent, is that they would mature and know Christ. Amen. Think about that. Of all the things that he could have written through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prays, he models this for us, he prays that they would know Christ. So the question then is, how do we cultivate maturity? How do we promote 
How do we develop maturity in our midst, in our homes, in our lives? How do we become more like Christ? And I'm going to go through three very quickly, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time, a little bit more time on the fourth one. The first one is prayer. Prayer is simply speaking to God. It is this conversation. It's daily interaction with the Lord. When you speak to God and he speaks back to you, you become more like him. Number two is the reading of the word. You want to know what God is like, he wrote a whole book for you. He wrote 66 books for you to find out what is he like, what is his character like, what does he like, what does he enjoy, what are the things that make him angry, what are the things that bring, bring sadness to his heart, what are the things that, that he doesn't take delight in. Number three is fellowship. I said it earlier, the more you're around people, the more you become like them. It's just, it's natural for us. And I know for me, I've said this before, I've experienced so much growth as a believer in the last five years, not because I was given the title of pastor, not because I lead worship, but because my job means I have to be around amazing men and women every single day or almost every single day. And when you hang out with these elders and these deacons, you hang out with the pastors, and you hang out with the youth, and you hang out with the young adults, and everyone in between, you start to become more like Christ as you see them model Christ as well. And then the fourth one, and this is the one that we're going to linger on here. The fourth one is accountability. At some point, prayer and reading the word has to lead to fellowship because you begin to understand that God's heart is for us to congregate together, to be, as, if, as Ephesians said, to be in unity with one another. And then from there, fellowship has to go even deeper to where it, it leads us into accountability. And accountability is having someone observe your walk with God. And this is the hard part. And giving them permission to bring correction when needed. This is important because we've been talking about seeing clearly. We've been talking about 2020 vision. And the reality is that no one of us, like not one of us, can, can truly see everything that's happening in our lives the right way. Because oftentimes we're blinded by our own emotion. We're blinded by our own heart. We're blinded by our own desires. And we need people around us, godly people around us. We need to surround ourselves with godly leaders, godly friends who we give permission to speak life into us, to objectively look at our situation away from the emotion, away from our heart's desire, and be able to speak life into us in correction to say, you know what, Jay? Actually, you shouldn't do that. I know you want to do that. I know you think it's good, but the Bible says this. We need people to hold us accountable. Look at this in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction, this is a word that we don't use at home. In fact, my, Zach said it earlier, they were, Zach and Caleb were playing cards this morning at 7 in the morning. Uh, not, not like gambling, they were playing kid, kid games, right? And he said, this is stupid, right? But it says here, whoever hates correction is stupid. If you hate correction... That's not me saying it. That's the word of God. Okay? One of the phrases you hear a lot, especially in Pentecostal circles, is the phrase God said or God told me. And I'll be, 
I'll be real with you. That, as a pastor and as someone who's been in ministry for, for quite some time, that is one of the phrases that really makes me cringe. Because oftentimes God said or God told me is really Christian code for this is what I'm going to do and you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. I've already determined in my heart that this is what I'm going to do because God said. You may say, well, God said that I'm supposed to join the worship team. But if you come up here and in your audition, oh, wait, where'd it go? can't tighten up because last time I broke the, the other mic, so it came out of my, my paycheck. <laughs> so, fix <laughs> so, my collar. Well, you know, can I be the cool pastor today? No, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, you, you might say, and guys, if my collar's not fixed, just bear with me, okay? Life happens, guys. You, you might say, well, God said I'm supposed to be on the worship team. But you come on the audition and you start singing, you deserve it. You, you know what? You deserve to get vocal lessons. Okay? All right, God didn't say that. God said take some lessons, come back when you're ready, come audition. Listen, if you do audition, please, please, I hope that that doesn't make you uh, not want to audition. I'm actually a lot nicer when we're doing auditions. I think so. I don't know. You could ask people who've auditioned and... See if that's sure or not. But let's look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. I, was, I came across this passage probably several months ago, and I've just been back and forth from time to time reading it and reflecting on it. It's something that it really struck me as I read it one morning in the fall. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. This is talking about Paul. It says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Now, let's stop right here because a lot of times we, we try to, we, we think we're pursuing God and, and, and we hit these stumbling blocks and we, well, it's, that's the devil or, or, or that's man. Man is in my way. The devil's in my way. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit who's preventing you from doing what you think you should be doing. The Holy Spirit prevented Paul and his companions. Verse 7, then coming to the borders of Misha, they headed north. For the province of Bithynia. And again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Again, they had intentions to go there. But the spirit of Jesus said, no, I don't want you to go there. So instead, in verse 8, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, verse 9, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, here's the really fascinating part to me. Verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Here's this amazing encounter that Paul, the apostle who wrote more letters, more books in the New Testament than anyone else, that had incredible encounters, encounters after encounters with God. He gets this vision from God. He gets this encounter from God, a man saying, you got to go to Macedonia. And in verse 9 and all throughout uh, the book of Acts, with the exception of a small portion in chapter 1, the narrative is written in the third person. But here in verse 10, for the first time since that section in chapter 1, it changes over to the first person plural. Paul gets an encounter with the Lord, but then in verse 10, 
it says, we decided, we concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. And what that tells me is that at some point between the time that Paul received this vision to the time that they traveled, there, there was an exchange with Paul and his companions, or Paul, I, I really believe in my heart that Paul was, guys, does this minister to you? And so for, for me, as a believer, when I feel like God has given me a word, when I feel like God has given me a song, or God has given me a dream or an encounter, or he's leading me a certain way, the mature thing to do as a believer is to run it by someone and seek counsel. Okay, the mature thing to do is to get confirmation because if, if even Paul was prevented by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, because he didn't know or he didn't understand that what he was doing was actually not of God, how much more us? And so that phrase, that little phrase, God said, God told me, we got to be really, really careful. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us because I, I believe firmly that he does. But I think a lot of times, maybe oftentimes, what we think is God is really our own hearts, our own minds, trying to produce what we want to happen and using the Bible as our platform or as our basis for, as our, to justify what we want to do. There's another phrase that we hear often. The first one, God said. The second one, that again, it, it makes me cringe. Susan and I, we've, we've had long talks about this. For some reason, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, she was on the other side of it, but mostly she's on my side. I don't, that's just how marriage works sometimes, guys. I don't know. But this phrase, follow your heart. Follow your heart. If that's what your heart wants you to do, then go pursue that. Your heart wants this woman. Your heart wants this man. Your heart wants this job. Your heart wants this whatever it may be. Pursue that because you should follow your heart. I told you last weekend I was at a, a kid's camp and my daughter was there. It was, it was a camp that the district puts on for all the pastor's kids. We, we were incredibly blessed by the district. And I served as a counselor to about, I think, seven boys, grades second to fifth, I believe. Can I tell you what their hearts wanted? Their hearts wanted sugar all day, every day. In fact, one of the students, he told me two things. This is the same student. He told me two things. He said, he said one, I like everything about camp except the service. This, this, this is a pastor's kid, right? I, I thank God I wasn't doing worship. And then two, he said, camp is all about eating sugar whenever you want. And I think for most counselors, that's probably what they let them do. But being a dad myself, I, I couldn't let them do that, especially not on my watch, because I didn't want kids getting sick on my watch. Monday morning when, when we left, I, I said, you know what, have as much sugar as you want, because you're going to go home in a few hours. Your parents are going to take you home. You're going to be in the car with them. Don't worry about it. But I will say this, okay, so we do need someone to give us counsel, but I will say this, that on Monday morning, I had for breakfast some donuts and soda. Uh, <laughs> look, hey, hey, don't judge, Okay. Don't, don't judge. For all you uh, health enthusiasts, uh, these were locally sourced, organic, free-range, grass-fed donuts. So, okay, it, it was okay. It was still good for my body. I'm still kind of slim. I maybe I put on a, a few pounds or so, but I'm okay. I didn't drink all that root beer. I got to tell you, it was, it was delicious. I'm not going to lie. It was delicious. Okay. If you're fasting sugar, by the way, you've been fasting sugar these 21 days. I'm really sorry I put that up there. Uh, you got about 13 hours, so hold on. 1201, call me up, hit me up. We'll go out, we'll get some donuts together. We can't let kids just follow their heart's desires 
And I think as believers, we shouldn't let each other do the same thing. We have to check our hearts with the word of God. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, the human heart is the most deceitful, is the most deceitful of all things. So if the human heart, if my heart, if your heart is the most deceitful of all things, why should we follow our hearts? We should follow God's heart. And that's why David, to me, is, is an incredible example of what it means to attain or to pursue spiritual maturity. Because David's nickname was a man after God's heart. Not a man after his own heart, but a man after God's heart. But even David, let's look in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Even David needed correction. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest... From all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet. So David says to Nathan, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, now listen to this. Nathan, the prophet of God, says to King David, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. If you read the rest of the passage, we won't go over it because it's fairly lengthy. But if you read the rest of the passage... You'll find out that that night, Nathan goes before the Lord, and God says, Nathan, this is not my heart. This is not what I want to happen. Yes, I want a temple to be built, but it is to be built by David's son, Solomon, and not my servant, David. This is amazing to me because the, the man that God himself describes as the man after God's own heart, he missed the mark, but it wasn't just him. The prophet that God appointed to be the mouthpiece to the people of Israel said, go ahead and do it because it sounds really good. It sounds really good to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. But even he got it wrong. Thankfully, God intervenes. God interjects. He speaks to Nathan, who speaks to David, who receives the correction and says, if that is God's will, then his will be done. As a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a ministry leader, it's an incredible warning for me. It should serve as a warning to us that, that if David could get it wrong, so could we. When we talk about the, the major decisions that we have in life. We want to achieve maturity, but we can't do it without accountability. The road to maturity is paved with accountability. The road to maturity is paved with accountability. Accountability and being open to correction is something that, that we model here as a staff at Belmont. Every Tuesday, give you just a, a little insight on some of the inner workings here. Every Tuesday, we review, as a staff, we review the Sunday service. Everything from the beginning of worship all the way to the end, including the message, including pastor's messages. And I'll tell you this, having been in ministry for well, a long time now, not every pastor does that. Not every leader is willing to open themselves up for correction to say, I want you to pick apart everything that I said, or I want you to pick apart everything that we sung and how we did and the transitions from one song to another and give us feedback. Not everyone is open to that, but because we want to become mature, we open it up for discussion. Now, having said that, of course, there's nothing that pastor has said that has ever been brought into question. 
the, uh, the, the phrase sugar daddy in the sky comes to mind. For those of you who are, who are with us on the first Sunday of the year. And so what we do as a worship team, you know, I, I want to be held just as accountable. And, and so if you have inquiries, uh, inquiries about the worship team, if you have critiques and, and criticisms, if you didn't like the songs that we did, if you want to request some songs, if you think the volume is too soft here, it's too loud, I'm going to put my email address up on the screen so you guys can see it. It's pastortom at gmail.com. Um, any of you guys, really, really, I just want to be... Just want to be transparent. I'm willing to take the time. And anything you guys have, complaints, I'm telling you guys. You guys take issue with how I lead, PastorTom at gmail.com. Seriously, though, this is not Pastor Tom's email address. This is a Pastor Tom's email address. It's not our Pastor Tom's email address. So don't send him any hate mail, please. Worship team, come on up. Let's bring this to a close before... uh, Pastor Carlos is calling me right now. He, he says he's not going to wait for the Tuesday review or the, the, the Tuesday meeting. He's ready to talk now. Let's bring this to a close. Church, it should be your desire. It should be our desire to become more and more like Christ each and every day. To pursue him in the word, in prayer, in fellowship with one another. And then this hard step of allowing people to hold us accountable. Whenever I've seen the, the exponential growth in my Christian walk, sometimes it's, it seems like it's a, it's a crawl. And other times it seems like I'm just leveling up over and over again. And whenever I've seen myself grow on an exponential level or in an exponential way, it's because I've had people who have, in truth and love, come alongside me to say, here are the areas as a husband, here are the areas as a father, here are the areas as a pastor where you need to grow in. And I want to say this to us because I think one of the dangers of pursuing God and becoming more and more like him and and hanging around other people who are doing the same thing is we we tend to, maybe not willingly, but we tend to compare ourselves to other people. And the truth is, God is not comparing you to someone else. Okay, I'm not trying to be better than Pastor Joy. I'm not trying to be better than Pastor Carlos or, or my wife or anyone in this ministry, anyone in this church or anyone online. I'm not trying to be better than them. I'm trying to be better than me. I'm trying to be a better man, a better leader, a better father, a better husband than what I used to be. My daughter, Kayla, she started reading at the age of two or three. It was somewhere right around then. At this point in her life, and she's only eight, at this point, she has read far more books, and I mean novels, than I have ever read. And I'm not, that is not hyperbole, that is not exaggeration, that is just truth. She loves to read. I read the Bible and whatever's on ESPN.com and a few articles on Yahoo. Everything else for me, they made a movie, I'm gonna watch the movie, okay? It's just, it's easier that way. Our son, Zach, he just started reading. Now he's five. I don't compare the two. I don't, I don't 
ever say to Zach, why can't you be like Caleb? I don't ever say to Caleb, why can't you be like Zach? When he started reading and we try to read with him every day, there is just such pride and joy that fills my heart as a father. It makes me glad, it makes me happy. And so God is not comparing you to someone else. God is just looking at you and saying, just, just come a little bit closer. Become like Jesus just a little bit more. I, I love the phrase that God loves you where you're at. He absolutely does. But at some point you gotta love where you're going to. You can love where you're at, but you can love where you're going. You guys understand what I'm saying here? I was talking to Pastor Joey on, on Thursday. He was showing me a video of his daughter, Josie, who I believe is about a month old. And it was a video of her rolling over for the first time. And again, the, the joy, the, the smile, it was like he was telling me about the greatest Super Bowl that was ever played. It was like the Bears had won, finally, right? And, and it's, just, it's just a video of her literally turning over. But the joy in his heart as he's showing it to me, that, that pride in his eyes, it was, it was incredible. And it just, it just, it made me think about how proud God is of us when we pursue him, how, how happy it makes him, how it brings delight to him. But here's the thing though, in, in five years, I don't think Josie doing, doing that is gonna mean as much because she's gotta develop, she's gotta grow, she's gotta move to that next phase in life. And, and so we need to surround ourselves with people who can vouch for our growth. I'll tell you this, before we get to the worship song, Susan and I, well Susan when she married me, I think she found out about a year or so in our marriage that I had some issues that I didn't really disclose to her. Namely one, I'm incredibly competitive. Incredibly, at this kids camp last weekend, I went three and zero in basketball and the victims ranged from, from second grade to high school. I am, I am equal opportunity. If you step on the court, I'm going after you, okay? I don't care. Pastor Rick saw me, Pastor Rick, the former children's pastor here, he saw me playing against some second and third graders and he said, I see why you're undefeated here. I'm like, hey, hey, ball is life. You step on the court, we're going at it, okay? Being competitive really isn't that big of a deal or that big of an issue, but when it's combined with an anger issue, then it becomes a problem. And early on in my walk with the Lord, early on as, as, a, as a husband, I had a really, really big issue with anger. I remember one time we went to Target, we bought the game of risk, which is the game of world domination. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, you gotta look it up, okay? And Susan and I, we go home and we're playing this game, and, and the first maybe three or four games, I am just destroying her. I am conquering everything from, from east to west, from north to south. I'm conquering every land, every territory. And then by about the fifth game or so, she figured out the strategy. She figured out how to win. And, and before she could win, in my competitiveness and in my anger, I picked up the board and all the pieces started flying. All of my armies from Ukraine to South Africa, all the way to the other end of the room. And, and she said to me, she looked at me and she said, we're never playing this game again. She later bought the game on the iPad because she figured I wouldn't throw an iPad across the room. And thankfully I, I never have. But here's the thing though, 
13 years into our marriage, she can vouch that I'm not like that anymore. Now, it was a process to, to, to leave behind the, the issues that I had with anger. It was a process, but, but slowly and surely as I pursued the Lord, as I encountered people, as I fellowship with people, as I read the word and prayed and, and, and really began to understand that this isn't God's plan for my life, he started moving in my heart. He started changing me to where I'm still pretty competitive, but honestly, it's not that big of a deal anymore. And I certainly don't, don't get angry like that. This is the greatest testimony that you and I can have. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not the messages that we preach. It's not the lifting of our hands. The greatest testimony is our lives and our hearts and our minds being transformed by the glory of Christ as we pursue him each and every day. That day after day, we slowly and surely become more and more like Jesus. That will be the greatest testimony to the people in your life, to the people at your work, to the people in your home, to the people here at church. Would you stand with us? So Father, we come to you today. Lord, we're asking you. We're saying to you, God, come search our hearts. Come search our deceitful and wicked hearts. Come speak to us, Lord, the areas where we're walking blindly. Father, I pray that you would send people to come alongside us, godly people, godly men, godly women, to come alongside us, to, to check our blind spots and show us what are the ways that that we're not quite following you the way that we should.